No one is dying, Patsy. You're not gonna die. Don't lie to me! I'm not a baby anymore! Well, welcome to episode 37 of Conversation on the Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining me on the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. And Carlin. Hello. With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So episode 37, the screenplay was done by Robin Charteris. It was directed by Lawrence Wilson. And the episode synopsis will be read out by Carlin. Sasha's departure has left Amber depressed and unable to let go, leading to further power struggles with Lex. Lex's distaste for the situation is only inflamed after Bray offers to step up for the tribe. And despite Ryan's reinsurance that he will watch over her, Celine's bulimia threatens to rear its ugly head once again. Okay, before we jump into the party, we have to talk about it. Forget everything else. We need to kick off the discussions by talking about the big moment that was just casually thrown in. All right, panel, what do you think about what appeared to be an adult digging through the trash? I honestly had no idea that that's what they were going for. I didn't even think at all at this point. I just thought, what's this ragamuffin doing out here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't get the adult thing? I didn't. I did not. That's not. I never. Because they had dropped that whole plot line in like the first act of season one that there might be adults still alive. And Jack was the only one who really believed it anyway. So it's just it never even crossed my mind that that's what they were going for i just thought i was a street kid i didn't know why they were opening with the street kid but yeah i never even thought wow that looks like a grown-up <laughs> i just remember being so shocked it's like the panel and you see the gray hair and i was like oh the wrinkly hand i you know i my first thought was oh wow is jack gonna be right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was pretty shocked by it too. I didn't, I didn't think the show was gonna take it to that level because it was a huge plot twist for me. Yeah, it just never crossed my mind that there would be an adult suddenly out of nowhere, casually wandering through the city like this. Mm. So I, even the white hair didn't make me think adult. Um, I didn't like the way I know that the exaggerated look is meant to make this person look old. But I'm being old. I, I did not associate that look with an old person. So yeah, just it never clicked. I just associated associated with really old people, you know, like some beggar living off the street somewhere. Um, obviously, we know where how the twist ends up. But like, keeping with the thought that it could have been an adult, like, how do you think the show could have evolved if like he really was an adult? I'm not sure. I I wonder if they would have played it that he was the only one mm. or you know it's it makes you wonder where all the other adults would have gone then if this one suddenly came crawling out of a bunker i don't know it, it threw me off a bit yeah with a you know not knowing what was going to happen and who this person was it's just because um to me jack always had a fair point with a yeah but surely some of them should have gone to bunkers or anything there's all kinds of places and even though a virus is spreading very very fast doesn't mean people can't go underground and 
tried to survive. So I always thought Jack had a point that there might still be adults out there. So I guess that's why I wasn't so surprised to see one, but more very, very curious as to which adult this was and how come this person was still alive. I can't recall much when I first saw the season and first saw this episode where my brain was. I just, I already accepted there were no adults. They were all gone. Um, because I figured by this point, they would have, we would have seen them. There'd be more hint. There might be more emphasis on them being alive. And there hadn't been. And uh, so, again, that's why I didn't assume that this was supposed to be an old person. Uh, now that I think about it, I, because I just accepted there were no adults in this world, I never even considered what it would mean if there had been. Like, what, how that would have changed the show. Um Though I did read a couple fan fictions that explored the idea of because New Zealand is an island, how easy it would have been to quarantine it, um, this virus. And, you know, imagining, oh, if adults from other countries suddenly swooped in after the virus had been cleaned up. But for it to be this way, for an adult to show up this way, my brain is having a really hard time wrapping around, like, how would the writers make that work? Like, this story would have gone off somewhere so far. I'm not even sure I would have been able to continue enjoying it. Because I'm like, how would you have made this work? Why is there an old person not dead of this virus yet? How are you going to make that make sense? Because <laughs> <laughs> timeline-wise, we're like, it's almost, it's around a year after the virus hit. Yeah. I mean, judging by Brady's age, it must have been about a year since it hit. I mean, like you mentioned, like, statistically, there would have been, like, some survivors anyway of adults. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, how the show could have made that work is interesting because, uh, obviously, Zoot's not around anymore. Um, you, can, you can kind of imagine he would have been hunting them down. But, yes, yeah, it's an interesting thought. But, yeah, there's a, a few different ways they could have taken it. I'm now imagining Zoot hunting down adults. Yeah. That was the kind of um, plot they were going to make. From, um, remember Blood of Judas? the Harry Duffin book that was going to get yeah. made. That was kind of the synopsis for that. But Yeah, when I first saw it, I um, I honestly thought kind of like it was like a scientist that was like working on the cure for the for the virus. And somehow it was able to, uh, he, he was able to survive and whatnot. And he was going to give them all this backstory about <laughs> the virus and all this stuff. But um, yeah, I felt like there's so many, so many, uh, possibilities where they could have gone with it i mean i was happy where it ended up but yeah it was at this moment where i'm like oh yeah it's starting to get good now <laughs> um we'll, we'll talk about this later but do you think the sudden reintroduction of the virus felt natural or did it was it kind of shoehorned in it's one of those things that reminds me that again season one was not streamlined i do not think they had any idea where they were going to end up when they started it uh this is the introduction of the third act and it feels like, this whole episode feels like, okay, you had the first act, and it's all about setting up the mall. And then the second act just meanders. Really, it just should be called Life in the Mall. That's all it really is. There's no plot <laughs> to the second act. It's just stuff happening in the mall. That's it. And then somebody got an idea. And they're like, I know where we can go with this story. And this is the beginning of that. Because suddenly we have a structured storyline beginning in this episode. And the virus is brought back when... It's been given no attention whatsoever other than just the awful thing that these children lived through. And um, so it's slightly jarring because of that, because we suddenly are beginning a plot. Mm. But um, 
yeah, it just, it's the beginning of the third act and somebody finally had an idea of where they wanted this story to go. <laughs> so it doesn't um, always coincide with what came before because it hadn't been planned ahead. And you can feel that. You can feel that in the writing. It's like an unplanned sequel. <laughs> you know? It's not yeah. bad, but you can tell when a sequel was set up before and when, you know, the first movie just happened to make money. And so they came up with a sequel. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I remember seeing some behind the scenes uh, stuff and the uh, actor who plays Lex was saying that like literally while they were filming, they were writing <laughs> the next episode, mm-hmm. the next few episodes. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's not uncommon for TV shows, especially TV shows of that format, like soap operas. Mm-hmm. But it also explains a lot about the characterization in season one and why it's not as sharp as, say, season two. Because even the actors didn't know where their characters were meant to go. So they didn't know how to pace their own character development, you know. And um, so, you know, they didn't know what might be revealed about their characters coming down the pipe. And so they were never able to act in a way where that would feel like a natural thing to be revealed. Whereas, for example, take Lex in season two because because that's a much more streamlined season and it seems to me they knew from beginning to end where they were going the character development flows much better as though even the actors knew where these characters were meant to end up what would be revealed about them and it definitely influenced the way they played their characters in a much more organic way it's just my opinion though Mm yeah yeah i agree um but I do feel like since season one, they didn't know where the characters were going. That still left great chemistry uh, that was able to build with the rest of the cast. It created a charm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, and it kind of forced them to really be those characters. Like, oh, I don't, like, we all don't know what's going to happen to us. But we're just going to keep living as a, as a tribe. Mm-hmm. Very true. <laughs> and I think this was for this storyline to be brought in, it was the right moment in time. There wasn't that much going on. A lot of things had just been wrapped up and they were moving forward with Amber returning to them, you know, Celine coming back. I, I definitely agree. This was the best time to get Act 3 in motion immediately. Let's go. Because mm-hmm. Sasha's leaving and Amber having to say goodbye to him really does feel like the end of the second act. It's the end of the meandering and the story not going anywhere. This was the perfect time to say, okay, set up the next storyline. So I agree with you there. And when I think about it, there's been a couple of small moments where they did mention the virus in the past 36 episodes. But it's not as big as they do right now. Because we've had the moment with the kids where they were eating stuff and throwing up and people instantly worrying if they had the virus. Trudy's response to when Celine admitted he was sick, he was throwing up, was also an instant, oh no, you know, her expression and all that. So I do think it's something that's been on these kids' minds, which makes sense because, well, their whole world changed because of it. Yeah. But yeah, at this point, it's becoming more obvious and I think a good way to start it. Uh, look, I, I still think we should be using these batteries to get the outside cameras powder. Oh, wasting them on some party. You only get a birthday once a year, Jack. But you get a birthday, he's even got no security. Come on, Jack. Get in the party spirit. So speaking of events, um, yeah, let's talk about Patsy's birthday party. So a very, very happy Bray <laughs> luckily carries Jack <laughs> into the mall. 
Um, though he hasn't brought anything for Patsy, he tries to pa- pass off the music as his present, despite previously complaining about using batteries for the party. Um, yeah, let's, let's focus on that, first of all. Um, Panel, what do you think about Jack's behaviour in this episode? Did you find it amusing or just irritating? It depends on my mood. If I'm in a good mood, it's funny. And if I'm not, I'm like, ugh, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a bit of both, really. It's just, I find it funny but mainly because you can see how annoyed Jack is and how much joy that's bringing to everyone else. I mean, here's this kid who's been in his bed, whining, commanding people to do stuff for him, and Bray simply does not give him a choice to stay in his bed. He just lifts him up, piggybacks him upstairs, as if he were a (laughs) two-year-old, and just drops him without him being able to escape. It works because of the way everyone else responds to his constant complaining. He has just become that whiny brother that you just don't pay much attention to anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, no one gets upset at Jack. No one really even gets irritated. He says something stupid. Bray hits him in the head. <laughs> it just, <laughs> I, I think that's why it kind of works because it just shows the comfort level they all have and their dynamic as a group. Nobody cares. Yeah what jack's complaining about they just accept that's jack he will always complain about something <laughs> which he will always yeah yeah i agree um you know it's not the first or throughout the series you'll kind of just see jack like when he's into his work that's all he cares about so it was i, I wasn't really annoyed with jack because i'm like oh yeah this is totally jack this is what he does but yeah i, I thought it was cool to see notice how competitive he gets with the <laughs> musical chairs though <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, that part i think that part might have annoyed me a bit because here's jack claiming oh my broken leg hurts so much i can't do anything and then he's playing musical chairs yeah <laughs> he's happily hopping around on one leg there's a lot of interesting things happening at this birthday party um even just the way everything starts uh one, it's the first time jump we've gotten in season one. Mm-hmm. And it's not explicitly stated, but if you're listening, you'll hear it's been 10 days since Celine had her last binging and purging incident, mm-hmm. which was right around the time Sasha left when she was with Rowan. So that mm-hmm. lets us know it's literally been a week and a half. That's the first time we've ever jumped in the show's canon at this point. It rarely does happen. And... uh so that's, that was something new that I noticed right away. Um, there's also something interesting. We're given a bunch of, it's like an expo dump. You know, we, we learned that Amber's been pouting in her room this entire time, which even though it's only, what, 10 days, a week and a half, in Tribe World, that's an eternity. That's a long <laughs> time. Uh, Bray didn't get that long to mourn his brother. Trudy didn't get that long to recover from childbirth. <laughs> just <laughs> A lot happens in 10 days. Um, and at this point, the kids have literally only been living in the mall for less than 20. So it's like, wow, she spent half that time mourning Sasha. <laughs> it's, it's been longer than 20 days. No, actually it hasn't. I have done this. I've done the math time and time again, counting the mornings, the nights, context clues <laughs> of what they've said, their breakfast, their dinners, the moon, the sun. Season one is literally 30 days long. But Brady isn't less than a month old it doesn't matter she i'm sorry it doesn't matter that is how many days these kids have lived in the mall it yes in real life these guys have been filming for almost a year but in the show they've literally only been in that mall for less than a month 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't think we can, you know, look at Brady. Yeah, I don't think we can look at Brady and tell how much time has passed. Because later in the seasons, it looks like she's aged three years. <laughs> Even though that much time hasn't passed in their world. Yeah. They're aging because they're humans. But the world they're living in is not, time isn't passing that quickly. So, yeah, Brady is like, what, two months old? But in the real world she's only weeks old <laughs> um but yeah uh, anyway back to how long you know amber's been in mourning it is a big deal to find out that it's only been 10 days and um i thought it was interesting that the tribe is clearly functioning perfectly well even without amber really participating which says sasha was right they didn't need her um oh, yeah Good point. Think about it. I mean, the place isn't trashed. Everybody's working together. They plan this birthday party. There's no chaos happening. Everybody's cooperating. Even Lex and Zandra brought a present to the party. They're all getting along just fine, even though Amber barely leaves her room. So I just thought that was interesting, too. That's that, a yeah. good point. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think about that. They didn't need her. No, and Trudy actually mentions, even to Amber, remember, we all agreed we wouldn't work today. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool <laughs> and interesting, uh, given what's going to happen. But yeah, it's, it really sets all these pieces in place for this next act happening of what's been going on, where everybody is, um, and how they've been responding and dealing with each other. And there haven't been any catastrophes. And so, yeah, very important episode for information, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, speaking of the, the virus suddenly being thrown back into things like what did you think about um patsy's reaction during the cake segment um where she gets very upset but it doesn't turn out to be anything to do with paul it's actually that she's scared of becoming older and the threat of the virus itself way to ruin the fun patsy jeez (laughs) (laughs) i get it though i mean she's the first person in this mall in this group of who they celebrated a birthday and you just see her like that and she's this little tiny girl and so much has happened in her life already. It's normal that a day like this that she would normally spend with her parents, her brother, makes her think about the virus and all the bad things that happened to anyone who was an adult. If you become a year older, you're one step closer to being an adult. So yeah, I, I get why she panics. I get it, but I still see it as a writer's trick. Like, I recognized it as a writer's trick to make us focus more on the virus again. Because as you said, they've mentioned the virus in the past, but more as just a fleeting, oh, you're sick? Could it be the virus? That fear. Um, But then it's immediately washed away because it isn't a threat to their lives anymore. It felt a little bit like, oh, it's reminding you that we're setting this up. We're setting up the virus to actually play a plot point. So for Mm -hmm. Patsy to be upset about Mm -hmm. the virus and the fact that we're all going to grow old and die, when yes, it would have made way more sense for her to be upset about her brother or her parents not being here for her birthday. I was like, I recognize that. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you guys are doing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it's a writer's trick, but it also just makes me remember that uh, the show was trying to adjust with Paul not being there because I'm sure he was supposed to be there originally. Mm-hmm. And that always kind of makes me wonder what happened to the uh, to the actor and why he left the show. 
uh, you missed it, but we have discussed how, he, just a quick resum, the actor was having trouble being deaf, being young, being away from home. So the writers basically sent him home and it was not handled well, but it was a very sudden mm -hmm. decision. He was sent home, replaced by Casey, and we were never going to get uh, a bow tie on his story. <laughs> Mm, that makes sense. Someone on the the tribe Facebook uh, group said that, but I wasn't too sure <laughs> where they got that information. I believe at one point there was an interview he did. I will not yeah. stake my life on it, but I'm pretty sure I read an interview where he explained what happened. Yeah, there was. Yeah, which is sad because yeah, we all like to pull. I do think um, there is a a deep realism to a birthday party triggering such sadness rather than being something mm -hmm. to be happy about i mean this is well i mean i doubt it's the first birthday any of these kids have happened had since the virus but it's the first one that's been celebrated and yeah. you think it would be happy these kids are going out of their way to give patsy a good birthday and they're all seem very invested in it it means more than just patsy's birthday it's a sign of moving on it's a sign that we're going to be okay a birthday represents life you know, it's the anniversary of your birth when you came into the world. It's hope and optimism. And you can see everybody's invested in making it great, not just for Patsy's sake, but I think for theirs as well. And and the way it triggers an actual sadness, the people mm -hmm. who should be here aren't here. The fact that, yes, you're getting older and, well, that was a death sentence for more than 50% of the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do think that's interesting that such a happy day triggers nothing but depression for pretty much everyone and a bunch of conflict. And, um, and yeah, it was Patsy who did it, which I thought was fascinating. Nobody else ruined her day. She was the one who was like, I'm just looking at that candle. She decided to indulge in the dramatics, not blaming her for it, but I thought that was interesting. Another tiny little point I find interesting in that moment is Trudy being the calmest one of all. <laughs> Instantly going, no one is dying, Patsy, you're not gonna die. Well, she's bringing on all of their worst fears. Yeah. If you watch half the planet die, that's gonna mess with your ideas of mortality. You know? And, oh, yeah. You know? Obviously. So it's like, Patsy, no. 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 No one's gonna die. No one's gonna die. No one is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> None of us want to think about that, Patsy. Yeah, but I mean, it's more, it's not the fact that it was said and no one's going to die. It's the fact that Trudy is saying it. Actually, I, I, by this point, Trudy has already proven, like, she's proven now that she's, this is who she actually is. It's a very nice, calm and kind person. So I thought it was nice to see her leaning into it and yeah. being such a comforting presence. Like, okay, this is who she is. Fine. Do what you like. Have your party. Trash the place again for all I care. And you know what, Patsy? I don't care. I wish I never had. Then maybe I wouldn't be stuck here with a bunch of losers like you. So go ahead. Sit moping in this filth that I came back to and wait for the virus to get you. Because I don't care! Let's talk about Amber. Do you think she's been moping enough? <laughs> Stop with that. Absolutely. Considering the way time works in this world, yes. I think she's moped long enough. Uh, again, this is a world where Trudy was given two days to get over giving birth. Bray basically had a day to mourn his brother before he had to get his act together. Ten days to get over a guy that you basically spent a weekend with? <laughs> she's had enough time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And as much as I dislike sulky Bray, 
sulky Amber is just, <laughs> I mean, she pulls it off, but I don't know. It's, I guess it's because it's Amber and the way she's been shown so far, you expect better of her. That is an interesting thing about the way Amber, this whole thing is handled. Amber is being held up to an unfair bias. There's a double mm. standard happening. Definitely. And I don't know, maybe that was the point. I think the writers might have been trying to emphasize the fact that Amber is held to an unfair standard. Um, everybody else is allowed to fall apart. She's not. Mm. And even though they're clearly running them all just fine without her, is it really affecting them that Amber needs to sit in her room and sulk? Does it really bother them? Why does it bother them so much? It's not stopping them from doing anything. She's still making rosters, apparently. And putting them up. Sure, today was the wrong time to put up a new roster, but really, what is who is she hurting? Yeah. By needing to do this. But because she's Amber and she's supposed to be perfect and always have it together, no one's cutting her a break. And just like you said, you expect better of her. But why? That's not fair. You know? Um Bray and Lex are also leaders and they slack off on their jobs mm -hmm. all the time. You don't see anybody having a tribe meeting about whether they're up for the job and whether they should have it anymore. The whole point of having three leaders is so that there's two to handle it when one needs time off. Lex has a honeymoon. Mm -hmm. There's supposed to be two others to handle it while he's, you know, participating in the circle of life. <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. So if Amber's down, it's up for Bray and Lex to just carry the load. That's their job. And it's not fair of people to make such a big fuss about the fact that Amber's down and out. Because she's not causing any trouble. You know, she, I just don't. You know, I think they're making a bigger fuss over her sulking than is deserved. Yeah, but on the other hand, she was really... Amber was really annoyed when Celine was sulking. She felt Celine shouldn't take that long. When was, when? I, I refresh my memory. We have a moment earlier on when Celine was sulking about not getting Bray, even though, well, Bray wanted her, but was spending time with Trudy. She was being annoyed if when Celine didn't feel like cleaning or anything. Yeah, that's true. I'm having trouble remembering if Amber made a big deal about it, though. You know, I think Amber's upset, annoyance with Celine is because Celine kept bringing her problems to Amber. But, I mean, I might be remembering it wrong. I, I, I need more specifics. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, and as Liz says, like, she's still doing her job. She's still making rosters and making sure everyone's yeah, organized. I mean, so. Emma is still doing her job. She's just not participating in group activities. She's not complaining to anybody. She's not bringing her sulkiness to anyone and saying, I need to talk about Saja. <laughs> No, but she is kind of out, kind of out of it, you know. Again, yes, she made her, she made a new roster, but she doesn't even remember that something else was planned for this day. Again, I get that, and I can see why people are like Amber. We did talk about this, and you were there for that discussion. But I feel, I do, just feel like she's being held to a standard that the rest of them don't have to live up to. Hmm. Because again, okay, so she made a mistake. She doesn't say, "Well, I forgot the birthday party. You shouldn't have it." You know, I mean, she just goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'll just stick this up and go back to my room. You know, um, she didn't yell at anybody. She doesn't have a confrontation with anybody about it. She just, she realizes she made a mistake. She wasn't paying attention and walks away. She just puts the roster on the wall. She doesn't say, well, you guys still need to do this because I decided. I just believe she's being held to an unfair, stand unfair standard. I hold by that. But I agree. 10 days is a long time to be mourning Jack Dawson. Let it go. 
having said that, <laughs> what do you think of her rant after the party goes downhill? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Amber. <laughs> yeah, that was extremely uh, selfish. I agree with Bob there. It's just, nope. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I thought Trudy made a really good point when she tells Amber, she says, you chose to stay, Amber. You know what I mean? Like, you did choose us, but now you're punishing us for having made that choice. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of truth there. Nobody made Amber stay. She said goodbye. She walked out of the mall. She was the one who decided they need me. I have to stay here. And now in a way she is punishing them and blaming them for the choice that she made. Mm. Which is not entirely fair of her at all. Because one, they didn't need her. Two, you need to get off your high horse in your head and thinking that people can't function without you. You're not that special, sweetheart. And uh, three, this was your choice. This was your choice. Nobody else made it. And it's it's not fair to take it out on everybody else. Well, like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have a defense for her outburst. I think it's kind of funny. Um, and damn. <laughs> <laughs> I get you've got stuff going on, but Patsy's literally 10 years old and she's having a mental breakdown. I understand if you don't have the... Uh, emotional for fortitude to help her through it, but you could just walk away. <laughs> Why are you getting into a fight with a 10-year-old? What are you doing? I have to say, I did like Patsy coming out with it. It's my party. I'll be sad if I want to. I do. I agree. I agree with Patsy. I think it is annoying that the minute Amber sees that everybody else is sad, that she won't just let them be sad. If you really want to help, talk it out with everybody. Let's talk about what makes us so sad. But instead... She's trying to do the avoidance thing, and it makes her a hypocrite. Like, Amber, you've been spending the last week and a half sulking in your room. Could you give us an hour to sulk about our impending doom? Leave us alone. One thing that did annoy me about that moment, though, it's, um, I mean, KC calls her out in a very KC-fitting way, and Bray won't even acknowledge KC. He just tells Lex, shut your puppet up. You know, it's, uh, he won't even tell KC that it's not cool to say that to Amber, even though he was so, so right. I mean, I mean let's pick up KC first, like, because he was particularly lippy in this episode. Like, what do you think about his attitude this episode? KC's attitude makes perfect sense. Um, I decided last week the way KC has been treated, the way he's been rejected by people for no real reason. Yes, KC initially stole from the tribe. And when he was caught and he admitted, I was just hungry. He hasn't done anything bad to this tribe since they accepted him. He hasn't done anything terrible to anybody. Every now and then he would take Jack's Game Boy. He would always return it. He hasn't been mean to anybody. He hasn't caused trouble for anybody. Not on purpose. Just, you know, the kind of trouble that kids sometimes get into. He didn't intentionally break, you know, Jack's leg. He's just being a kid, and all he wanted was to be accepted and validated by these people. And we watched him be rejected by people left and right. And Bray has never been nice to Casey, except the one time he read the children a bedtime story. So Casey finally reaching this point, I'm not surprised at all that he's become pretty combative with the same people who haven't been nice to him. You know, Jack and Dal rejected him. Bray's always been mean to him. Lex is the only one who's been nice. 
it's very easy for Lex to poison a child against everybody else. And that's exactly what Lex does. I, I'm not mad at Casey. I'm like, what did you think was going to happen with this little boy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And he looked like a point. Like, he legit thought he was left off the roster. And Lex could, I mean, I understand Lex couldn't read his name either. So maybe even Lex thought, yeah, she must have left you off the roster. But Lex knows, for one, Amber wouldn't do that regardless. Lex knows there's most likely another explanation for why Casey doesn't see his name on the roster. But we know what Lex is like. He will play on your fears and poison your mind to whatever he wants you to think. Mm -hmm. And so Casey's the innocent. He really does believe he's been left out. And he's been rejected by people in this tribe before. So it's very easy to make him believe that they want him gone. I, 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 I'm just not at all surprised by Casey's behavior. He was justified. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I agree. And I also think that uh, since Lex is Casey's mentor, or Casey's mentor, I think whatever Lex's opinions are, it's going to be Casey's opinions. And whoever Lex doesn't like, uh, Casey won't like as well. Kind of like a, a loyal hound dog. Lex is the first person Casey admits to that he can't read. Lex doesn't judge him. He also admits to having the same problem, which makes definitely would make Casey feel better about his inability. And um, Lex has been nice to Casey. And I'm just thinking, what would you feel if you were a child in Casey's position? Um, when he is allowed to help Jack and Dal, it's not utilizing his actual skills. He's holding a ladder. You know, we know Casey can do more than that, but Jack and Dal don't want him around, mostly because Jack is jealous and doesn't want to share his lover. But, um, <laughs> like, uh-huh. I, I just, I get Casey, he's been rejected, he's rejecting now in return, you know? Mm-hmm. And it can feel good to lash out at people who haven't been very nice to you, you know? Um, so, yeah, again, I'm just not surprised at all at how Casey has acted and. He's simply responded to how he's been treated. As for how Bray treated him, I didn't like it. Again, I don't like the way Bray treats Casey at all. I don't really understand why he has an issue with this kid at this point in time. Later, yes, he can have problems with Casey. But at this point in time, from the moment Casey's arrived, Bray's never really been nice to him. I don't know what his problem is with Casey. I don't know why he doesn't like this little boy. Um, Bray could have easily just explained to Casey, like, Casey clearly thinks his name's on on the roster. And Bray goes, yes, it is. It's right here. But he's also being very mocking and humiliating to Casey because he couldn't see his name. And Casey says, that's not how my name is spelled. Okay, fine. He didn't recognize it because that's not how his name is spelled. Bray is being purposely antagonistic to a child. I don't Mm -hmm. care how a kid's acting. You're the adult, okay? All Bray had to say is, fine. Okay, we misspelled your name. And just fix it and say, okay, Casey, she didn't leave you off the roster. She just spelled your name wrong. Sorry about that, kid. This is what she has you doing. He's the one who escalated that confrontation. It didn't have to be the way it was. But Bray's being a tool here because he doesn't like this kid. And I'm just like, stop it, Bray. You're 16. He's 10. Stop. <laughs> just You get in a fight with a two-year-old, you're always to blame. That's all I can say. Yeah, Bray's behavior is just despicable in this moment. Yeah, and I think the reason why Bray doesn't like Casey, uh, I mean, once again, uh, Casey's first impression on the tribe wasn't that good, but 
I think it's the fact that Casey just keeps hanging out with Lex, and obviously Bray doesn't like Lex. Yeah, I think it, it's more to do with that than with the way Casey came in. I mean, Bray himself came in and stole food. Yep. So, it's not his place to judge Casey, even if he was stealing food for Trudy, Casey was stealing food to feed himself. You know, there's. but I think you're right, it has to do with the fact that in KC, he basically sees a mini version of Lex. And, well, he doesn't like Lex. He doesn't trust Lex. I think he's just projecting that on KC. Yeah, uh, speaking of Lex, um, yeah, Panna, what do you think about that confrontation between him and Bray? I laughed. <laughs> Both Hill and Carlin have made good points about the fact that Lex is often right about the things he says, but people don't listen to him. And, and I pointed out the reason why people don't listen to Lex, because Lex is usually very untrustworthy, and he's also a huge hypocrite. So I find it interesting that Lex, what he's saying is accurate. <laughs> right? yeah. He's not wrong about the things he's saying about Amber's behavior, or even Bray's behavior. He's totally right to call the both of them out. But he is still like the wrong person to say anything about either of them. Um, he was going on about how Amber as a leader isn't allowed to slip up and she has to keep it together when he's the worst example of how a leader should behave despite being one of the leaders. So he knows he, has, he shouldn't say anything about that. And, you know, and it comes to treating children kindly. Oh, where do you get off, Lex? Okay. There's a reason there's a little boy no longer in this mall because of you, apparently. So, um... He's right, but again, they once again, they put the right words in Lex's mouth, <laughs> but it's because it's Lex, you're confused about how to feel about it. Yeah. And they'll do this over, and this will continue all the way to season five, where Lex will say something, but people don't want to listen because it's Lex. He's, you know, the last person you should listen to. So I'm like, yeah, you're right, but you shouldn't be the one saying it. <laughs> And yet, it feels so right for Lex to be the one saying it, because, well, if Bray says it, people will just say he's jealous, that she's, you know, whining over Sasha and not about him. But, you know, there's nothing in the things Lex says that's wrong. I mean, no, because he wants them both gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just his delivery. That's just, it throws people off. Oh, but uh, Bray with a stupid, I'm bigger than you, I'm braver than you. Uh, yeah, I laughed pretty hard when I saw that. <laughs> I mean, he's right. I don't like the blocking. The blocking is corny. I'm not really sure what they were going for. Yeah. Uh, it's not like he swung out at Lex and stopped his fist. I think that would have been more impressive because it would have shown like, mm -hmm. his control. Like, I could hit you. I'm stopping myself from it. But I don't think the way they filmed it, it worked. It just looks kind of corny. Mm -hmm. That Bray suddenly just has his fist in Lex's face. So I mean, that's that's stunt coordination, not Dwayne's fault. <laughs> but I do like the moment where he's pointing out, like, I don't need to fight you, Lex, because we all know I'd win. We all know I'm better than you. We know I'm hotter than you. <laughs> it is a very it's a pointed insult. I mean, he just cast a lot of shade on Lex, and shade only works when it's right. And Bray is right in this moment. And Lex knows it. And uh, so I like that he gets Lex where it hurts. You know, Lex puts up... I mean, you've said yourself, Sabine, that you think Lex is a coward. 
And this is literally what Bray is saying to his face. Like, you talk a big game and you want to throw down with me. We both know how this will end. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So I do like Dwayne's delivery of that, that cocksure. I don't even need to fight you because I already won, you know? Um, (laughs) It made me think of Godzilla, (laughs) where it was just like, let them fight. (laughs) (laughs) Stop teasing us. Just let these boys go at it, please. Give it up, Lex. I'm bigger than you, and I'm braver than you, and I'm going nowhere. But um, I didn't think it was cute that Chloe, being so emotionally intuitive, was able to distract Bray. I was like, okay, I didn't get to see him fight, but Chloe, you're awesome. Chloe is amazing, yeah. Oh, that kid. No one else was willing to do anything to stop this, but Chloe was like, Bray. What what is my job? (laughs) 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 That's interesting too, like the relationships between like just mentor and mentee, because you have Lex and Casey, and then there's Bray and uh, Patsy. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's true. Bray and Chloe, Trudy and Patsy. But there is something I don't like about this episode and that moment. Why is Chloe the only one who speaks up to stop this? Why is she the only one emotionally intuitive enough to say mm-hmm. this doesn't need to happen? And even though I'm just a child, I'm going to stop it. Why is every other able-bodied young adult in the room just staring like a bunch of lemmings? Like, Tyson, you got nothing? You got nothing to say about this? Where's your, <laughs> all, your, your harmony and the good of the tribe? Where are you? And... Oh, come on, Tyson just wanted to see the boys fight. She and was silent. She said not a word. <laughs> they're all so useless for the next few episodes. Like, they don't have a thought of their own and don't have an opinion. And they're easily swayed by whoever's apparently the loudest in the group. I just, I don't, I don't like this. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it at all. It annoys me. No, but, but in this specific moment, I just, Tyson has a look on a, on her face, like most guys have when they see two girls starting a cat fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't break that up. It's way too fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they're probably just used to it. They're like, oh, Bray and Lex, again. <laughs> and well, they all know that if they interfere, they'll either get Lex on their case or Bray on their case. They don't want that. And Chloe is just not bothered by either of them getting annoyed with her because she's adorable and she can get away with it. I don't know. Again, I feel like it's just the writers were just like, oh, we'll just have these guys be silent because we want to write this confrontation. And it's again, this isn't the only scene where they do it. The next few episodes going forward, most of the tribe is just going to sit back and let the loudest person dictate how they should feel about something and not say anything. <laughs> and I don't get it. I don't, I don't really care for it in the writing personally. Yeah, but it's, it is what happens when you have a group of teenagers somewhere. You know, the loudest kids will be talking, and the quiet ones, they'll just sit back, and they will have an opinion, but they won't voice it out loud, because they know their opinions won't be valued enough. I agree that the quiet ones usually stay quiet, but we've already established there are plenty of other ne- loudmouths in this group who would have something to say about this. You know, not it doesn't make sense to me that... All of them would just stand down and watch this play out. I really don't understand why someone like Tyson doesn't speak up. I mean, doesn't this break up the harmony of the group? Isn't that what you're supposed to care about? Or are you not wearing those gloves today, Tyson? 
<laughs> nope, not today. <laughs> so I do think it's a flaw in the writing of handling the larger group. Because sometimes we get writers who are really good at handling all of the kids in a group and how they would all contribute to the discussion at hand. And then you get writers who they are clearly handling the confrontation between Lax and Bray very well, but they don't know what to do with everybody else. So they just end up staying silent in the background, like they're extras on a movie set, you know? Speaking of writers, there's something, I don't know, it's something about Lex's lines, like you're finished, that he keeps using. It just, I don't know why it rubs me off, rubs me out the wrong way. In, all, in every argument, it's like, oh, you're finished. It's like, I don't know if it's the delivery or just the writing. It really bugs me. Because he keeps saying that. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't have any meaning. No. Yeah. Well, Lex doesn't have a, a vast vocabulary, so. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep giving it to him. And it's like, no. <laughs> it's meaningless. You're finished. Finished with what? This isn't Mortal Kombat. What are you talking about, Lex? <laughs> Want to put this on again? All that talk about the virus. I'm so scared. Shh. I wish it would come. I want to get it and end this mess. No. No, you don't. I do. Yeah, since we're having to suddenly throw the virus back into things, um, <laughs> Celine has a scene with Ryan. Um, and in it, she, she wishes that she could get the virus so that she can end it all. Um, yeah, Panel, what did you think about that scene? I guess I can understand it. I mean, when you think about these children have lived through and what they're still living through, it can feel like you're in the cusp, the in-between. It still doesn't always feel as though they've crossed over into the next plane of existence for them. They're still waiting for the bottom to drop out. They're barely surviving. Yes, they can feed themselves. They have a roof over their head. But every day is waiting for something else to go wrong, especially when everything did go wrong. And once you know that everything can go wrong, it's really hard to ever go back to any sort of innocence. And given their ages, I'm really not surprised that living in the cusp could make you feel like, I just want it to be over because it sucks to be right here and always being afraid of what's going to come next and waiting for the bottom. You're, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop every day. That's a bit much, you know? Um, so I do get it. I, it. Again, it's one of those things that's not fully explored with Celine, but I get it. I understand why she would feel this way. There's a never-ending presence of fear gnawing on the back of their heads all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like having a constant migraine. You're just in pain. And at some point, you're just like, I, I just want this to be done. I'd rather not feel anything than feel this all of the time, this unrelenting fear, you know? And especially for Celine. I mean, she's got so much other things going on with her bulimia. Yeah, I get why she'd rather want it over with. And it is something that we see in her character development as well. Because she will always be afraid. There's always this dark cloud looming over her. And yeah, I, I can fully understand she would just want to get it over with. And it also plays a part in the fact that we start the story and we don't really get to explore how any of these children handled the virus. Mm -hmm. We step into their lives almost an entire year after it happened. Mm -hmm. And no one really gets to sit there and talk about what it felt like to live through it. And since they're bringing it back, this is the time to start exploring those fears and the trauma and what it did to them. 
so that we can be prepared for, oh, guess what? It's back. <laughs> you know? and, uh, so, yeah, again, they know what they're doing. They know where they're going with this. So why don't we explore what, such, what a dark time this was for these children? And they haven't gotten over it. They just stuffed it into the back of their head. And the closet just popped open and everything spilled out. And they're like, ah, this is all this baggage I haven't dealt with yet, you know? And some of them are better at dealing with it. But yeah, Celine, it makes sense to me that Celine would definitely be one of the people who's like, I can't stand this fear. I hate this so much. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's also makes it more uh, consistent in terms of his writing for Celine. Because throughout the season, she still feels this way. Uh, especially season season three yeah that's i mean everyone responds to the apocalypse differently you know there you're always going to be people who are like i don't know why we're still trying to survive the world is gone you know is nuclear whatever asteroid zombies whatever it is you're going to have people who feel like why are we still fighting what are we fighting for life will never go back to what it was you're going to have people who wish they'd gone in the initial wave so they don't have to see their friends and loved ones suffer. They don't have to try and keep their children safe or whatever. And then you're going to have the people who are like, even if there's nothing worth fighting for, they're going to survive. They don't know why, but they're going to do it because there might be something over the horizon. And so you have those different kind of survivors, those different mindsets in this kind of scenario. Like, I'm totally gung-ho for the zombie apocalypse if I can do it alone. But if I have to keep my family alive, I'm like, screw it. Just kill us all. <laughs> I can't keep these people alive. <laughs> That's horrible. I don't want to go through that. But if I'm by myself, you bring it on. <laughs> Thanks for the drink. Feeling any better? It's the spot. Tysan's going to bring you some herbs, help you sleep tonight. Well, I certainly won't be working on anything for that lot. I gave up everything in there. They'll be there for you after today, Amber. You'll see. How do you feel about um, Trudy and Amber? Their kind of talk and the relationship growing between them. like that part. Yeah. It's the first sign of a true friendship between them. Mm. Because it isn't just one of them doing the work. This is the beginning of reciprocity between Trudy and Amber. You know, Amber was the one who took care of Trudy, uh, even reluctantly. She still did it. And here's Trudy paying it back, paying it forward to her, you know, um, giving her the same compassion and care and understanding that Amber gave her and being super patient with her. And um, it's nice. It is really beautiful, I think, especially when you think about where this friendship goes not counting season five. <laughs> I was just about to say. <laughs> um, we just pretend that didn't exist. This is a beautiful friendship. <laughs> I love what she says. It gets better, Amber. It does. You know, she says it with such a deep well of understanding. She knows exactly what Amber's feeling right now. She's not judging her. She's not telling her she shouldn't feel that way. She doesn't point out that she barely knew Sasha. She just accepts that Amber is heartbroken and she remembers that feeling and she's just like, sweetie, I promise you, it gets better. This well you're in, you will eventually climb out of it, I promise, you know. And I think it does help at this moment in time that Amber's heartbroken about Sasha and not Bray. Though Trudy proves to be very understanding about Amber's heartbreak over Bray as well. 
Like once Trudy decided to put her big girl pants on, <laughs> she was very fair to both Celine and uh, Amber about their feelings on Bray. Even though she still loves him deeply and wishes he, you know, <laughs> reciprocated those feelings, she does not take it out on either of them. You know, she goes to bat for both of them when it comes to Bray. So I think it's just, it's proven who she really is, who she, what her character really is, you know. Isn't it nice that the one souvenir Sasha gave Amber already had holes in it for a string to make it into a necklace? That was so <laughs> considerate of him. I love that. So I miss him, you guys. <laughs> He's a thoughtful guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> At least it wasn't just me thinking that. <laughs> I was like, wow, where did he find that shell? <laughs> Uh, the prop department worked hard on that. They did. They did. Well done, you guys. I found that moment when she digs it out. This is so relatable because I, I was quite dramatic when I was young, especially when it came to a heartbreak. I leaned into it, you know? And so I would definitely, like, I had made this picture book of me and my boyfriend. I was like 13. And then we broke up. Oh, it's tragedy. So I would play our song. <laughs> And then I, I remember burning the edges of our book and pretending like it had, it maybe had been in a house fire and this is all I had left to remember him. And I buried it under my bed. And then yet yeah, every day I would take it out just like so a gaze at it forlornly. <laughs> Something kind of cathartic about letting yourself just feel it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when Amber does that, she throws the teddy bear out of the way and digs out this necklace that she purposely put away so she didn't have to be reminded like oh i feel that i've done that <laughs> <laughs> okay one thing we haven't talked about um aside from celine um and her stuff i was wondering about the cake and the conversation with zandra like how she seems very put out that she no longer has ryan's attention like undivided attention uh... like she she got the guy she wanted and yet she's put out because Ryan is no longer fawning over her. He's accepted. Okay, I lost. You You know, you, you're with him now. And yet she's pouting about it. That he's no longer going out of his way for her. And she's not the center of his world anymore. And is very, like, jealous of Celine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she just, she just loves the attention. She reminds me of a, a young Georgian woman who just went through the courtship period and the season in town and had a great time with the chasing and the courting and the flirting and and now she got a match and she's settled down but life isn't fun anymore because the chase is over guys aren't chasing her anymore they're not trying to win her anymore she's a married woman she's no longer a maiden and that's what she reminded me of immediately <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh my gosh she's just like the sister mary in the book persuasion she's kind of bored she got the husband She's taken care of, but she misses her youth of being chased because she don't have it anymore. Like, this isn't fun. <laughs> and I was very proud of Trudy's cake. I liked how realistic it was. It looked like a cake that you would make if you don't have an oven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was impressed with that attention to detail. <laughs> and the icing. Yes. <laughs> and the candle. <laughs> I was like, they didn't have to do that. I was really proud of them for thinking about those details. Because that looks like a cake that you would try to bake, like, on a stovetop in a pan. <laughs> well done, Trudy. I think it looks magnificent. So that brings us to our final thoughts of the episode. Um, 
So in a scene with Jack and the fixed surveillance system, we see the um, supposed adult reappear with Jack's triumphant face as he realises that his dreams has come true. Yeah, panel, um, we spoke about it already, but um, were you excited at the possibility of finding out more about the virus? Yes, I really wanted to know what happened there. And, you know, maybe this adult knows something. Because, yeah, 37 episodes is a long time to go without you know the backstory coming into play i was just a big dummy i never assumed it was an adult so i honestly had no idea why jack was so excited to see this hobo on the camera <laughs> like i didn't understand why that was a plot point you know what i mean like that jack caught it on camera i was like who's it supposed to be why is jack so excited <laughs> just another homeless stray out there <laughs> I really didn't. I, it wasn't until the next episode. Like, oh, he thought it was a grown-up. Okay. I was just like, I missed it. I wasn't, I, maybe I just wasn't clocked in at the very beginning and ended this episode. But even today, I watched it and I missed both of those beats. <laughs> and Jack has been holding out hope for finding another adult for so long. Oh, dear Jack, finally getting his hopes up. Yeah, I, I love how this episode ended, and I just, I love lore from, from any type of TV show or movie, so the fact that they were going to give us a lot more about it, about the virus itself, I was so ready for it. I will say, though, it does speak to my, one of my favorite tropes in the tribe, is how when they're in the midst of their, like... They're bickering and stupid stuff they're fighting over. I do love how the outside world intrudes and reminds them of what's important. And so this is a hint that whatever's brewing inside the mall doesn't actually matter compared to what's happening outside the mall. So I do like that, even if I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same as like Colin. I, I love all the backstory and laws. So I'm glad that was finally like being introduced because yeah, it's been a long, long time. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, is this, was it a science experiment? Was it aliens? Was it like, like what was it? I love that kind of day zero outbreak. I like to know like, what causes it. And yeah. Did anyone else notice that the sound that the recording was making was someone's voice? It's not actually like an electronic sound. It's someone going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> doesn't surprise me though with the track. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, that's not an actual electronic sound. Because you know, I grew up with TVs with static. I'm like, that's not what static sounds like. That's somebody's voice. Was that Sartre again? <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I, I like. I know it was done on purpose. You know what I mean. Most of the things in the tribe are done on purpose. And I feel like it was just added to, once again, disconnect the tribe world from anything in our reality. So I was like, yeah, we're not even, we, they don't use normal music. They don't use an, a score that would be recognizable to us. So yeah, the this little things, the ambient sounds they use, they make them up as they go. So you can't connect it to anything else you've ever heard. <laughs> So that brings episode 37 to a close. Thank you very much to the panel and we'll see you next time for episode 38. So until then, bye. Bye. Later days. Bye.